How's it going, everyone? Good to see you all. Great to be here with you this morning. And uh, Pastor Greg is in Rochester, so I've been invited to come and share today. So it's a joy to be here and see your faces. Um, I don't know if I need to introduce myself. Do you all know me? Kind of, you all kind of been around me for long enough. I don't need to blabber on about who I am. Look, for those that don't know, my name's uh, Maddie Coven, and my wife and I were pastors here uh, for a number of years. Transitioned this year, though. And so it's been quite a journey transitioning from, you know, the comfort of a role, which you kind of come to get used to and expect, and then to move into uh, a new season, and that's been a bit of a journey. My wife and kids were here this morning, but they nicked off. They got sick of what I had to say and thought, I'm out of here. So if you leave halfway through, I get it. It's all good. My wife's already ditched me, so no, I'm kidding. But it was good that they came this morning, but you know what? It was time to go home, and that's good. But I'm here with you today, and I'm hoping that uh, today, really, guys, just that the Spirit of the Lord will encourage your heart today. If anything, um, if you kind of want to know my end game, my end goal, um, I'm just praying the Spirit of encouragement, and that's been a word that's been really important to me uh, this week in particular as I've wrestled with, like, you know, even coming to share today, kind of what the Spirit of the Lord might be saying and wanting to invite us into. And so, I want to share a little bit about that because, you know, transition and the unsettling nature of change can, can cause one to experience wilderness. Have you ever felt wilderness in your faith before? Uh, you know, and you know you're experiencing a bit of wilderness, even when like Pastor Peter says, hey, Pastor Greg wants us to fast and pray, and part of you is just like, Ugh. <laughs> fasting and prayer. <laughs> it doesn't sound exciting, because it's just like another thing. Um, and so, I, I want to encourage us today, because I feel like the Spirit of the Lord really wants to minister to our, our hearts today, and uh, we want to look at what courage looks like, and how that stirs us into the mission of God. Because how many of you know the mission of God doesn't submit itself to the devil? God's purposes are at work, and He is at work even today, even now, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our environment that we face right now. How many of you know that uh, the church is alive for such a time as this? And God is pretty smart that He invited you to uh, live into this moment in time and space and to be His church. So, we want to explore a little bit of that today and hopefully uh, stir up some courage and some faith. Uh, I personally have been in a bit of a wilderness time, and that is not a bad thing. Wilderness doesn't mean punishment. Wilderness means God is refining and testing, amen? That's usually what it means, and if we can connect to that part, then you kind of know how to dig deep. You kind of know how to press into God and trust His infinite wisdom, but it still is wilderness, and in the wilderness, it's, you know, it's, uh, as I was speaking to Kathy uh, after the first service today, and she was telling me about a book where um, she was learning that in the wilderness, it's like, it doesn't rain. You know, it just doesn't come easy, but it's a place that you learn to dig deep. It's a place where you have to find the wells and the springs in the desert, because you're pursuing God, you're pursuing that nourishment in the midst of that wilderness. And for me, that's been a little bit of my, my year, um, because this year started out with some grand ideas. Did you have some ideas about how this year was going to go? Maybe at the beginning of the year, you did your resolutions, and you, you were going to do your Bible in a year, and you were going to exercise more, and you were going to, you know, do, go travel, you were going to do a missions trip, and then all of a sudden, kaboom, just like that done. And I was thinking a bit about that, unex, you know, that unexpected nature of this year, um, going into something with expectations and that not happening. I remember when I was 21, I think it was, I'm thinking 2021, 20, can't remember, I got given a hot air balloon ride uh, for a birthday present. Who's been on a hot air balloon before? 
Well, I was thinking this thing's going to be sweet, man. Like, this is going to be like an adrenaline rush. We're going to be cruising around, and maybe the guy's going to drop it a little bit, and we're going to, like, woo, have a bit of fun. My parents bought me this uh, hot air balloon ride, so I was really looking forward to going. And I didn't really think through what a hot air balloon ride is. I just thought it's going to be an adrenaline rush. I'm all good with that. And so I ended up going on this hot air balloon ride. And hot air balloons need particular kind of weather, so you have to call, like, every day to check what the weather's going to be the next day so that you can actually, they can say, yes, it's on. So I remember making the phone call. The guy said, yeah, awesome. You got to be there at like, I think it was like 3.30, 4 a.m., some ridiculous time. It was this sunrise experience over the city of Melbourne. And Melbourne's beautiful because you got the ocean, you got the bay, you got the city. It looks gorgeous, right? So I thought, this is going to be great. I remember going. It was really dark when I got there. There was just people everywhere, but I couldn't quite see who they were. But either way, I got my ticket out. I got on the hot air balloon in the basket. The guy starts you know, blowing it up and whatever they do. And uh, we start taking off and we go up into the sky and it was really cool. And I remember just sitting there and I was leaning on the basket thinking, oh, this is pretty cool, right on. The sun was coming out. It was pretty picturesque. And I was single at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, this would be nice to bring a girl, you know, bring a date. And I looked around and the whole basket was just full of couples that were just like making out and (laughs) gazing off into the sunset. And I was standing there in my baggy sweats and like hoodie because it's four in the morning, man. I just thought, you know, this is going to be some adrenaline rush. No, it was a very romantic hot air balloon ride. And I remember thinking, this is the most awkward moment, man, because not only did it reinforce my singleness, I'm standing in this basket, and I ended up just having a conversation with this French dude who was the guy that was, like, running the hot air balloon. So when we finally landed, and by the way, it was not an adrenaline rush. It was cool, but kind of just standing there gazing off into the sunset while everyone else is just having this romantic date. Then we land and we go on this minivan and the, the French dude drives us to this really expensive hotel for a romantic champagne breakfast. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, this is so bad. And this, this kind of reminds me of this year where you think you're going into something and you have all these hopes and expectations and ideas and then all of a sudden you're like that awkward guy on the hot air balloon ride. Another story that reminds me of this year was... Uh, there was, I, I remember I went to see my auntie for her 40th birthday years and years ago in Australia, and I had an early morning flight from Sydney back to Melbourne, and it was one of those flights where you like get up at 3.30 in the morning to get to that 5.30 a.m. flight, you know those really early first flights, so I didn't sleep much the night before, I got up, I wasn't feeling the best, and uh, I got up super early, didn't eat, and you know when you don't eat, you have that nauseous feeling in your stomach, you're tired, I get on this aeroplane, it's hot, they hadn't put the aircon on yet. It was running behind. It was a crammed flight. And I remember I had the middle seat because it was like just the two rows with the three seats. I was in the middle. There was a guy on the window seat and a lady next to me. And I, I remember just feeling like I was like getting the sweats. I was starting to feel really sick. And I was sitting in this middle, middle seat. And I would just all I wanted to do was look out the window to get like a bit of perspective because I just felt really claustrophobic. And the guy was sitting next to me, he was reading a book, he lifted up his book so I couldn't see, and he shut the shutter. I remember just being like, <laughs> And I, I was sitting there, and the plane finally takes off, and I was just feeling really gross. I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel sick. So the guy was coming around, the air host dude, and he was pushing the cart. Tea or coffee? I was like, yeah, I'll have a cup of tea. So he gives me this cup of tea, and it was lukewarm. It was disgusting. But I was just like, I felt gross and I just needed something to drink. So I I actually, I threw it back and I gulped it. You know, when you, like a big gulp and it just sat on my gut. And I was just like, "Uh uh-oh. So I'm sitting on this plane and the guys are still pushing the cart in the aisle. And I remember feeling like, I'm going to throw up. Like, I'm actually sick. So I'm not going to do it. Nah, I'm good. So you know when you have that conversation with yourself and you feel the taste in your mouth and you're like, 
not going to happen, not today, I'm sitting there on this thing, I'm thinking, I can't throw up, like I'm on a plane, like this is ridiculous, I can't escape, so I'm good, I'm just going to sit here, and I started like rocking a little bit, I think the lady next to me was a little bit like, what's going on with this guy, man, like they let him on the plane, and then the next thing I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's coming, I threw up in my mouth, I don't know, this is, this is not a good church story at all, but I threw up in my mouth, and I was, I didn't want it to come out, so I swallowed it. Oh no. I swallowed a mouthful of puke and it was, it was mostly Earl Grey tea. But then because I did that, it was like my stomach said, nah. And it doubly, it, it, it's almost like double the speed it came out. Just as I was about to do that, I'm pretty sure the lady next to me saw my, and she went for the, for the little bag and I just couldn't hold on, mate. It was gross. I threw up on the plane. I, I don't know, I was that guy. I threw up liquid all over the chair in front of me. This poor lady was reaching for a bag and got it. She jumped up into the aisle. Ah! The whole plane probably thinks it's a terrorist or something and looks around. Nope, just me throwing up all over the plane. And we're only about a quarter of the way into the flight. Yeah, go figure. I actually remember... The worst part of it was this guy that was sitting next to me. I'm like, I wish I'd have thrown up on him now. That's not very gracious, I know, but he was sitting here and he had his book. He pulled it down, looked at me, shook his head and kept on reading. Didn't, just unfazed by it. And I was just like, I remember just, I sat there and it was awful. This lady ended up getting a free airplane flight. So in the future, if you want a free flight, just have someone throw up on you because apparently the cup of tea made me sick and she got a free flight. But why am I telling that in church? One, I don't really know, it's a funny story, but two, it's kind of like, that's kind of what it's felt like this year a little bit for me. You're like, I'm getting on an airplane, I'm going somewhere, and the next thing you know, there's a lady screaming, covered in puke, there's people shaking their head, it smells, it's gross, it's kind of like what you expected to happen didn't quite happen. This has been such a bizarre, interesting year for us to live into, not only as people, but certainly as the church. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today, because while that's a humorous uh, story and experience, I think we can all recognize that this year has produced a, a unique set of challenges and uh, unexpected experience that we as God's people have had to face as we orientate to the way life is unfolding around us. And one of the things that we have to do as the church constantly is continue to wrestle with, how does the gospel enter into the dirt of everyday life in the situations that we as the church find themselves? And I think every generation has to ask that question. How is it that the gospel finds real actual root in the everyday existence of the dirt that we walk in, in the environment we're in, with the circumstances that we face? For some this experience right now can be confusing, frustrating, uncertain, and I'm not just talking about COVID, I'm talking about what it means to be a 21st century Christian in the world today. There can be confusion, there can be frustration, uncertainty, annoyance, all of us experiencing the waves of life in many ways. Hey, there's been financial challenges, man. Those who are running businesses, trying to understand what it means to employ people right now and, and keep them on. Financial challenges, people who are stuck at home, normal routines are being disrupted, we can't travel, and even recently finding out there's some more restrictions for the next few weeks. Just processing what it all means can be a challenge. 
But again, beyond the conversation about COVID, what does it mean to be a believer in the 21st century? And how are we coming in context of ways of living? And, and, and the ways of living in our world today that are contrary to the Christian story. And I want to talk a little bit about today because it can be really discouraging when you don't know how to do that. Discouragement can come into our life in many ways. And it's not just unique to these times. Throughout the entire Bible, throughout the entire history of humanity, it is not uncommon to find people facing trials and becoming discouraged as they face them. Discouragement is a human reality that all face at different times. God's people have faced it through the entire Bible. There have been very different moments in which God's people have had to work out what it means to be God's witnesses and to be on the mission of God in the face of external circumstances that are demanding attention and to try and work out what it means to be God's people. The Israelites faced it in their testing, didn't they? The Israelites faced it after a miraculous escape. God's miracle produced this incredible exile from slavery, away from a life of slavery into freedom. And as they were on that journey, they faced themselves in a wilderness. Numbers 21.4 says they traveled from Mount Horeb along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient along the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread there's no water. We detest this miserable food. So much of what they were looking forward to as they began their journey with God ended up almost like an illusion. They found themselves in this place of testing where it was like, what is this? This wasn't what we jumped on the airplane for. There's puke everywhere. God, there's no food. There's no water. What, what is going on here? They became discouraged. They became overwhelmed. The nation of God faced it in front of a task that seemed impossible for them when they were out of exile again a second time and they were brought back to their homeland to build the temple. And they began this incredible task. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You've brought us out of slavery to Babylon. You've established us again. You've given us a mission as God's people, a task to do for our generation. And they begin the work. And then before too long, Nehemiah tells us, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble, we can't build the wall. They came from this incredible miracle again, into the mission of God, into the task God had called them as a unique people to do, and before too long, the task seemed impossible. It seemed too overwhelming. The psalmist Asaph wrote, recognizing his own sadness and sense of loss as he sees wicked people prospering around him, and he's doing his best to be obedient to God. He laments in Psalm 73, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Verse 13 goes on to say, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. All the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Here's the psalmist who knows who God is and he's doing his very best to be faithful to God, but just sees the environment around him, wickedness, prospering, all kinds of things that are happening. And he's like, what's the point? I'm depressed. There's this sense of depression and darkness over this psalmist who's lamenting at the reality of the world around him as he tries to live in to the God story. So if you have any discouragement today, 
any sense of apathy in your Christian walk, any sense of not understanding, numbness, or just feeling a little stuck in your own Christian walk, first and foremost, I want you to know that this is a human experience that is common throughout the entire Bible. But at the same time, I want to speak to you today that the hope of the Spirit of the Lord will minister to those deep places and stir us into the mission of God for such a time as this. Each generation has been called uniquely into its context and its culture, and it's really easy to romanticize the history of the church. It's easy to romanticize the Book of Acts church. It's easy to romanticize the early church fathers who wrestled through faith, but they had to work out what it meant to be God's people in that time and find ways to bring the gospel into those situations. So we look to them for inspiration, but now we say, Spirit of God, what are you doing today? And how is it that we can be your people today on mission? Even when we face external circumstances that are so demanding and demand a response from us, and that anxiety that that can cause and we, work, we don't know what to do, we become the people of God that say, you know what, Spirit, what are you doing? And who are we to be right now? Whatever reason, God in His manifold wisdom called us into being for such a time as this. I wasn't born in first century Palestine. I was born here in the 21st century in, not in Canada, in Australia, but now I'm in Canada. And so are you. God in His foreknowledge decided that that was good and proper for us to exist as His redeemed, reconciled people, to be a witness for Him to this world. And even in thinking that, it gives me great joy and pleasure to know that God in His foreknowledge chose us into these set of unique circumstances to be His witnesses. Not to just hope to get off earth when we die and bide our time till we get there. No, to be His church now and ask God, what does that look like? It encourages me to no end and the sovereignty of God to see and trust in His wisdom to be the people of God we need to be. And to remember that God is over all things, and God knows. And this theme penetrates through the entire history of the Bible, of God's people. At various times, as they faced various moments in their history, God continues to stir them toward the mission of God in every set of circumstances. And we are a part of that unfolding story that measures beyond our lifetime. The word encouragement actually means to bring courage back into the will, to strengthen our heart with courage, to do the work that God is inviting us to do, to fulfill the tasks that He is inviting us to do, to partner with His grace into this environment. Encouragement is not wishy-washy words of sentiment. Encouragement is actually the knowledge and the joy of our salvation that comes and enters time and space and gives courage to our will to do what God's calling us to do and be who God's calling us to be. Discouragement comes and takes our will away. Discouragement comes and leaves us but seeing nothing but the giant, nothing but the rubble, nothing but our own emotional world. And then the grumbling and the excuses and the why I can't follow Jesus. But our courage comes as we look to the Psalms and we see, I lift my eyes to the hills. I lift my eyes back up to where God is. And from where does my help come from? Repeat verse 2 with me, church. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is not determined by our circumstances. God is not determined by the circumstances of the world. God is loosed from all limitations. He is beyond time and space, yet He chooses to enter into the very mess and muck of our everyday existence through us, broken vessels, redeemed, reconciled people. And God is saying, we take our eyes off the situations, the issues, and we see God again. And encouragement comes when we are able, through the eyes of faith, to see that God is with us. Do you remember the story when Israel faced Goliath in 1 Samuel? Goliath, literally what he did was he stood against the people of God and he defied them and took courage out of their hearts. He says, I defy you, people of God. I defy you. And it caused dismay to enter into the people of God. The Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So here are the people of God, remember, who are the army of the living God, who have seen miracles and have walked with God, come up against an external demand that seems beyond their capacity, and they freeze in their walk. And what the enemy did in this situation, what the circumstance did, was almost like reach in and take their collective will, their collective heart, removed their courage, and all they were left with was the situation that they faced, and they lost hope. Bible tells us they were fear, full of fear, and they were dismayed, and the word dismayed means discouraged. Their courage was dissed, taken away. And so for a long time, they stood there, not able to move forward, not able to be the people of God and the mission of God. They just were stuck. And of course, we know the story that David comes. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give all of you into our hands. David was courageous not because of who he was in his stature, but because he knew that the Lord owned the battle. His courage came from the knowledge that God was with him. God had made a way to be with him, and his confidence and courage didn't come from a a kind of a cockiness. It came from the ability to recognize that there was a strength of heart to do the work God had called him to do, and to protect get into the mission of God. And there was no external circumstance that was going to dictate that will. No external circumstance would come. And while the rest of the people were stuck in their faith and kind of apathetic and discouraged, David demonstrates a courage that comes from the knowledge of God being with him. Later on in his transition, when he had run his race and fulfilled some of God's plans and purposes, he passed on leadership to his son, And he said to his son in 1 Chronicles, David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. How many of you know that he 
who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the very end. God doesn't just give up on you and leave you and say, oh well. No, He speaks that, that courage into our heart. And it, the, the promise here that David was connecting, that courage comes when we know God's with us and we can get about doing the work that He's called us to do because of that and He's never going to leave you. That's the promise of God. That's what He's saying here. My courage comes from the joy of my salvation and the knowledge that God is with me. God has not left. He has not left the building. He has not left Canada. He is here in the everyday existence of your life. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, He instilled in His Son a heart of knowledge of God's presence with Him. And we remember Moses, who transitioned to Joshua, spoke to Joshua before he was going on a task that was so much bigger than himself. It was a monumental task. But yet Moses looks at him and says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Moses summoned Joshua in the sight of all the congregation. Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. Don't be dismayed or discouraged simply because the knowledge of God with you will sustain your heart to know that you are not alone. He goes with you. Go into the mission of God, Joshua. Don't be afraid. God's with you. Don't hold back. He will not leave you. And God reinforced this to Joshua. He said to Joshua himself after Moses died, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, careful to do according to the law that Moses commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that wherever you go, you would have good success. Hezekiah faced the king of Assyria in the land of Judah in Second Chronicles, and it says that he appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with Him. With Him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. In all these situations, all these circumstances, there is an external demand, a reality in which the people of God were living into that wanted to disrupt their, God's mission, that wanted to disrupt the people of God's calling to their world in every situation. And in each situation, they faced the potential of being apathetic about their life, apathetic about God, stuck, not able to move forward into the tasks that God has invited them into by His grace discouraged, dismayed, courage taken out of their heart to make the radical choices that God invites us into as His church, that are so radical that we look different than the world. And there's this dismay that creeps in that means that we kind of get stuck. And in each circumstance here, the word of the Lord was, be strong and be courageous for I am with you. You do not need to have fear. You do not need to be dismayed because God will be with you. 
Psalm 37 reminds us that the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. Amen? He is their stronghold in a time of trouble. Whom in heaven have I but you, says the psalmist. And there's nothing on this world that I desire, says the psalmist. Our courage comes from the joy of our salvation in the knowledge that God has made a way to be with His people and fill our hearts with the courage to do the radical tasks that He's inviting us into. And the Apostle Paul knew of this in the first century reality. You know that Paul himself was a prisoner because he gave his whole life up for Jesus Christ and is so connected to the wonderful and amazing reality of God's salvation. He sits in his gloomy situation in prison rejoicing because he has the gospel. Because all that's been stripped away, he's got the good, joyful news of his own salvation that gives him the courage to encourage his church. He writes letters to people all around the situation, all around Asia Minor, all around uh, his environment to encourage them. We know he wrote the letter of Ephesians that was all over the churches. It was a letter that was passed around to all kinds of churches to encourage them to be the church. He writes to Philemon, he writes all, 2 Corinthians, and he writes the letter to Colossae. Colossians was written to a unique group of people who were a fairly new church, and they were probably working out how to be the people of God in their environment. Laodicea was this powerful economic city that was now growing and emerging not too far away from Colossae, and had taken a lot of the economy away, and, and this group of sort of Christians have now emerged who are putting their hope in Jesus Christ. It's tough financially. It's tough in the world because people don't like them and don't understand. The Jews don't like them because they're a radical group of people that are following this so-called Messiah. The world doesn't like them. They don't have the New Testament. All they have is the testimony of the apostles and Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in his own gloomy situation, full of the joy of the Lord, because of his own salvation, writes this letter to them, to remind them of who they are to be for such a time as this. Despite the challenges, despite the environment they're in, despite the external demands and realities that they themselves faced in their unique context, he himself in prison in horrendous conditions helps to connect them back to the bigger narrative of their salvation. He reminds them of the redemption from the reality of this world's brokenness. He writes in 1 Colossians, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He reminds them that through the power of Jesus Christ's reconciling and redeeming work on the cross, they have been set free from bondage to sin and death. They've been taken out of darkness. The word he uses here is darkness, is a metaphorical word. S-K-O-T-U-S is the word if you're into study. And Paul uses it to describe not physical darkness, but a metaphor for not living in the Christian story. The word actually means this, an ignorance of respecting divine things and human duties. An ignorance. Darkness is when we don't live in to the calling of our vocation as God's people. When we forget the purposes that God has invited us into as His church, and we lose sight of our vocation in the garden, and when we become ignorant in respecting the divine things, the truth of who God is, 
the accompanying ungodliness in immorality that comes from that way of living, finding ourselves again in sin, living a way that does not glorify God, and he says, together with their consequent misery. Paul in prison is writing to this group of people saying, God in His mercy and His grace has taken you from the pit of misery, of miserable living, living into the ways of this world. He has translated you from that story into the kingdom of God. He's placed you out of your miserable life and established you in an everlasting kingdom where there is redemption, new life, forgiveness of sin. He saved us from our own ignorance to God and a life that that ignorance produces, which is miserable. Set us free and adopted and placed us into the kingdom of light where they're forgiven and the consequence of that misery is dealt with. No longer neglecting the human vocation to glorify God in all circumstances. How miserable is your life when you begin to order your life around the things of this world? How miserable you become. How miserable it is when you find yourself in that place of testing and you become like those guys, God, this food sucks. I want to go back. I want to go back to the old way of living. Our life is misery when we order our things not around the lordship of Jesus Christ, but around the things of this world. And this is what Paul's reminding them, guys, as you work out your faith as a unique group of people in this interesting times, remember the joy of your salvation. Remember how miserable you used to be before you encountered the living Jesus Christ. Think about how miserable your life is. And then he goes in chapter 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses, cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailed it to the cross, and He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in Him. Paul goes on to say, guys, you've been translated out of a kingdom, and now that old life doesn't need to dictate your future. The past no longer dictates your future because it is finished. And that old flesh, that old creation, that old way of life, that old miserable you has been nailed to the cross because of Jesus Christ and He actually disarmed the powers that ruled you. You're no longer a captive or a slave to sin. The power of death does not exist. The consequence of sin, which is death, has been defeated and we have been made alive in Christ. For where you were once miserable, you are now made alive. You have been raised to life with Christ. And Paul writes to them in chapter 3, in light of this reality, that we as God's people put on a new self, a new life. No longer living in the miserable, fearful, discouraged way of life, but in a hopeful life we've been called into. He says, if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Set our minds back on the things of Christ. 
For since we've been raised with Christ, since our old nature, our old flesh, our old miserable way of life has been crucified and buried in the ground, and that we've been raised to a new living, a new way of life that represents the heart of God, and that new life is something that we put on. Your life is, old life is dead, and we've been raised to new life. But we need to set our minds on the things of Christ. Where has the attention of your mind been lately? What is it that you think about, if you're honest, when you're alone, in your car, or at home, relaxing on the couch? What are the things that your mind orientate toward? I often know I'm doing okay with God, when in those quiet places, I tend to think about Scripture and I think about God. Like, He becomes the affection of my heart. I love to sit there and just meditate and think and wrestle with life and talk to God. I know I'm not doing the best with God when I either turn up the music or I try and distract myself or I can't confront my own thoughts because there's so much unjumbled there because my mind orientates itself towards the old miserable way. Paul's calling to our attention. You know, there is a possibility that we think about the wrong things and that's miserable, but that he's saying, church, because we've been raised with Christ, we now have a focus point. We now have something that we can meditate on and think about that causes us to be alive again, that we don't have to walk around dead in our trespasses, but we've been raised to new life and new living when we set our minds on Christ. Despite what's going on in our minds and in the world around us, the church is alive for such a time as this. And you were created to live in this generation for t- such a time as this. How many of you know that God's mission does not submit itself to the powers of sin and death? God's purposes are still at work. And God's calling us into His mission, into His purposes, to be the church of God that He's called us to be for such a time as this. For we are not the church in Colossae. We are the church in Morinville. We are here in Canada. And God, in His wisdom, chose you and me. And He's inviting us into a new reality in which we fulfill the purposes of God and get our minds off the things of this earth. And get our minds off the situations and the problems. Because that external demand is always there. And Pastor Peter said it before. Happiness comes when happenings are going your way. But how many of you know happenings are not always going to go your way? You're going to find yourself on that airplane, man, and things are going to change. You're going to find yourself in 2020, and there's going to be testing. You're going to find that there are things that you don't like. There is all kinds of external demands that want to set the agenda of your heart. And we get discouraged and dismayed, and we can so easily become like the Israelites that see that external demand, and we get apathetic in our Christianity again. We forget what it means to live radically for God, because that courage to do it gets taken away. So if you have any apathy today, any sense of discouragement, I want to encourage you today that the Spirit of the Lord wants to minister to you today. Because He has invited us into such a time as this, with the Spirit of the Lord with us, to do the purposes of God. There's still a mission to do, and God is still with us. That has not changed. It's normal to face discouragement and be frustrated, because Jesus says it. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Because in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. We take courage as His church right now, because we know that Jesus has triumphed over sin and death, that Jesus has won the victory, and He has reconciled you out of your misery into His unfolding story. The Apostle Peter 
is a great example of God's amazing grace restoring us back into His mission. I think today, if anything, I want to get to, and we're going to finish off here, is that God wants to restore you back to His purposes. As you awaken to His purpose, as you come through this season, maybe of misery or darkness, this season of wandering, maybe there's a part of you that just isn't sure right now, and you can identify that apathy. I want to talk about the Apostle Peter here, and you all know it, because I want to demonstrate how God, His amazing grace works. You see, Peter was walking with Jesus so on fire for God, remember? We spent a couple of years with him, seeing the miracles of God. He said things like, God, Jesus, where else would I go? You have the words of life. He said things like, Jesus, if you go to the cross, I'm coming with you. I'm dying for you, Jesus. You ever been like that before in your life? You ever had that fire in your belly for Jesus? Where you're just like, I'll go to the cross for you, Jesus. I will live radically for you. I'll be so different than the world. This is Peter. Peter's just fully invested in this thing. But then he comes against an external demand that threatens his security. It threatens his sense of sort of preservation. And all of a sudden he has a moment where he shrinks back from his, his radical salvation. You know the story. He has a moment. There's an external force that sets the agenda of his heart and he sort of fails the test. And he shrinks away. And then all of a sudden he's, he sees Jesus crucified on a cross and it feels like God is now completely away from his life. I don't know if you've had moments where you just feel like God is like a million miles away from your circumstance, from your life. I can't imagine what it would have been like for Peter, who was with Jesus and on fire, and all of a sudden he found himself in this strange, bewildering moment. When not only did he fail Jesus, he's living in that discouragement. God seems a million miles away. Then he has this moment where Jesus shows up. He was confronted with his own lack of courage, Peter was, and he shrunk back. And then you know what he did? Jesus shows up, but shows up in a very cool situation. See, Peter, what happened was, and you can read the Scriptures two ways. I like to read it this way. Some people like to think that because Jesus appeared in the upper room, and then it was uh, a short time later that Peter and the disciples went fishing, because they were just sort of waiting for Jesus. I think there was some unresolved issues in Peter's heart that needed to be dealt with. And Jesus had appeared, and, he, and Peter knew Jesus and seen Jesus again. But what's really interesting is the Bible tells us that Peter went fishing with his friends. And it's so fascinating to me, because this is what we do, isn't it? That comfort of the old identity, when it feels like God is a million miles away, where you feel that discouragement, that apathy, how easy it is to order your life around the old way again. It's like the, wil the wilderness, man. The Israelites were like, we're going back to Egypt. This is too hard. I, I don't know what you're teaching me, God. So I'm going to seek comfort and pleasure even though that's a life of misery. The very first thing Peter says is, I'm going fishing. And the other guy said, we will come. So Peter goes fishing because that's what they used to do. What else do you do when it feels like God's away, you're in a season of testing, you feel like you've failed, you feel apathetic about your faith, you're not on fire for God, it's so easy to go back to the old way. And so of course they go fishing, and how many fish did they catch? None. Do you know why? Because the old life is always fruitless. It always leads to death. It always puts you back in bondage to sin. It always puts you back in that place of misery every time you go back to the old identity. And so this is a picture of these guys going fishing, unresolved issues in their heart, external things have dictated their internal reality. God's out of the picture. They're on a boat fishing, and they toil in that old life, and they catch nothing. But here's the grace of God, because you know what Jesus is doing? He's sitting on the beach, and you know what he's got? He's got fish. 
It's got everything that they need, that they're going after. It's right on the boat. But it's so hard to trust God's provision when you take control. Because you want to go and get all the, you want to go and produce for God. You want to go and take control of your circumstances when you're not on that sort of radical living for Jesus. But when you're there, you realize that God has all you need every time. So Jesus is like, hey, and, and I always joke about this one, you know, if you've seen Forrest Gump, you know, when he jumps off the boat, Lieutenant Dan, Peter does it, he just sees Jesus and just doesn't even think about it. He jumps off the boat and runs back to Jesus because he sees that Jesus has all he needs and he comes face to face with Jesus and there's this beautiful moment where Jesus looks at Peter and says, you foolish dodo. No, that's what we expect sometimes, isn't it, hey? When we humble ourselves, we think that we've been such a failure, we haven't been living up to the standard of Christ, and we come in contact with Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter and, and, and gives Peter an opportunity to be honest and repentant about that discouragement, about that place of being dismayed, about feeling like he failed God, about feeling stuck. And he looks at Peter and just names it straight up. He says, Peter, do you love me? Agape me. Do you love me with the fullness of love? And you know that Peter looks at him and says, oh Lord, you know I only brotherly love you. Jesus is like, great, go and feed my sheep. Let's go, let's get back on mission. But you're not quite there yet, Peter. You're still hiding. Peter, do you agape me? Oh Lord, you know I only brotherly love you. Jesus is like, great, we're gonna go and feed my sheep. We're getting back on purpose here. And then he looks at Peter and says, you know what, Peter, do you even brotherly love me? And Peter's cut to the heart because he knows he was covering up to pretend that he loved God, and Jesus is like, I'm calling you right now. Let's name this thing. And Jesus says, Peter says, you know, Lord, you know all things. Basically saying, you, you know I don't even brotherly love you. I can't even pretend, Jesus. I've failed you. I've gotten stuck. And Jesus says, Peter, beautiful. Go and feed my sheep. It's time for the church to be on mission again. It's time for the church to recognize its failings and for us to, in humility, to recognize where we continue to pitch our tent in the old identity, where the Lordship of Christ does not rule our life. But Jesus is constantly inviting us into this moment in time and space for the gospel to find a way into this reality and this unique set of circumstances where we get our eyes and our focus off the things of this world and set our mind back with Christ to stop living in the miserable way of life, to come out of that misery because He's taken us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of Jesus Christ who has triumphed over all things and to stop going back to the old way of life, toiling, trying to produce our own way. And Jesus is saying, come back, name it, move on. We've got a mission to do, and I'm with you. Your courage comes not because I send you out on your own, it's because I'm with you through the cross, the reconciling nature of the cross. When the temple was torn in two, we were reconciled to God and became living temples. We became the dwelling place of God that goes out into the world like a light to show a different way, to show the hope-filled story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it enters into this time, and so God has created you for such a time as this, for the 21st century, here in Canada or wherever you find yourself, to radically live for Jesus. And it looks different than the world. I think Jesus' heart today is just to restore us, to recognize that, that maybe there's some of you here who are just feeling that apathy. You're feeling that discouragement. This year has been tough. There have been external demands vying for your attention constantly, and there's been an anxiety, a feeling of like, I don't know what to do or how to do it. 
I think the Spirit of God today is wanting to meet us on the beach again and just restore us back because God's mission is still going and God is still here with us. He haven't, hasn't left or forsaken us. I think today we can take heart that God is with His church. God is alive and He has not moved and He's inviting us into His mission for such a time as this, to see a lost world reconciled back to Him. And it starts with each of us again, receiving that salvation, that joy of salvation again, and stepping back into the mission of God. So I'm going to finish here and we're going to pray. But the psalm says that the Lord will never despise a broken spirit or a contrite heart. The Lord will never despise a broken spirit or a contrite heart. I think what he's saying there is that, you know, if you have a broken heart today, if your spirit just feels numb, or you feel like you've been just stuck in your Christianity, and I'm preaching because this has been my life the last six months. It's been the wrestling of that testing, that wilderness, that place of trying to dig deep and see God and being dismayed and feeling stuck. But I feel like God is beginning to awaken us again to His purposes, to stir our faith in our heart again, and to be reminded of the joy of our salvation when it's all stripped away, we're left with this joy. Whether we be in prison or in a hotel, you know, whether we have lots of food or little food, as Paul writes, he, he, he discovered a joy that transcends it because he had the joy of his salvation. So we want to pray for courage in our hearts again today. And I just, I'm going to invite you right now, just close your eyes as I read a psalm. And then we're just going to pray together. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will stir up courage in your heart today to make those radical choices to live for Him again. Psalm 147 says this, It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. For the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. The Lord lifts up the humble and casts the wicked to the ground. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of a horse. His pleasure is not in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. God's delight is not in your ability to produce for Him. Or feel like you have to hide from Him and do great things for God. His delight is that we would put our hope in His unfailing love. How many of you know God's love is unfailing? It will not fail you. He is faithful, He is good, and He is with you. So, just with your eyes closed today, I just want to pray specifically, if you, today, as you heard, just maybe you can identify with that feeling of discouragement, and you know what that means for you today. If you're wanting God to come and bring, restore courage back to your well, so that you can order your life around His Lordship again, in repentance, to see that God is the God of the universe, loosed from all limitations, but He has entered time and space for you. If you lost courage 
and you identify with that apathy, that feeling stuck, and you're just like, God, I, I, I need to live radically for you again, Lord. Fill me with courage. If that's you, just extend your hand so I can pray for you, and you can receive the mercy of God today. And, you know, even in that, it's like you're jumping off the boat right now and running back to the beach. And you're going to have a moment where you just say, God, you know I don't even love you like a brother. I can't hide from you, God. So I'm going to want to be restored. And you know what Jesus says? He looks in your eyes and says, go feed my sheep. Lord, I thank you for the humility of your church today, God, who are recognizing that in the journey of life, there have been external circumstances that are trying to dictate our internal reality. God, you breathed your resurrected spirit into our hearts that made us alive again. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that you are our Father, God, and that we are adopted. God, I pray for that truth to be revealed to us again today in the place of discouragement, that God, you will remind us that you are so close, that you are within us, you are dwelling, you have made your dwelling place our life because you have reconciled us to you. So God, I pray for courage to restore our heart, that you would bring restoration to our well, Lord, that we would remember the joy of our salvation, that we have been redeemed from the miserable way of life. And Lord, that we would stop being like dogs that go back to their vomit. God, that we would know that the chains have been broken, that you have set us free from prison. We are no longer slaves, that you have triumphed over all things, God, Give us the courage to be your people again for such a time as this. That God, when we get to the end of our life, we may look at the next generation and say, hey, be strong and courageous and do the work. Because I know for sure that God will not leave you. So Lord, bring restoration. Restore unto thee the joy of our salvation. Renew a right spirit within us, God. As you search our heart and see any wicked ways, we repent where we have gotten it wrong, God. We repent for thinking about the wrong things and making idols out of created things. But God, we repent of that today and we come back, pour out your grace on your church. Restore us with courage to do your will. Hallelujah, God. If there's anyone else today that's just saying, I've never had the joy of salvation before, but I'm sick of ordering my life around the problems of this world and being dictated by them. I need a rudder. Jesus made a way. He enters into the very mess of your life and brings peace and direction. And you know, He's, he's calling out to you today to know that there is hope. So, A, if you've never received that salvation, or B, if you need hope today because you feel hopeless. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you now that the joy of salvation would visit your heart or that hope would be restored into your life today. So God, I just pray for a restoration of hope into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with joy. We thank you that God, in the kingdom of God, there is joy, peace, hope. We're so thankful for those realities today, God. So establish us today, Lord. And as we stand up together right now, church, would you stand? As we stand together, God, as a, a symbol of our standing on the grace of God, standing on the firm foundation of Jesus. As we've sat today and we've listened and pondered, we now stand as an action, God, that we're going to stand on the truth of your word. We're going to stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're going to build our life on the rock and not the sand. And God, as we stand firm right now, we prepare ourselves to move out of here 
God, back into the world as agents of reconciliation, God, hope-filled, full of the joy of the Lord, full of the courage to live boldly for You, full of the courage to live radically for You, God, to give away what we need to give away and submit our life to You. So God, right now, I pray a blessing over the church of Jesus Christ as they stand firm right now, God, remembering their salvation. Lord, as they walk through the doors of this church building and hop in their cars and go, Lord, that light would flood Morinville. Light would flood Sturgeon County with the hope of Jesus Christ as these agents of reconciliation. So fill us with the Spirit of the Lord. Fill us with strength, strength in our heart, and may we now go God, go into the mission and the purposes and awaken us to those things today. And God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And the church said, awesome. Now that you're standing, you're ready to go, go. Go in the grace of God. Go into the mission of God. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Amen. Have a great week, church. And we'll see you next time.